Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you move your mouth. I bet you come way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis. I wish you would. Talk Memphis. You sound so good. Talk Memphis. High on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning. We have a program that I think you're going to be interested in. Of course, I say that basically every Friday because we work all week long to put something together that's both educational and interesting and entertaining and all those things. Keith, what do you think? That doesn't make it any less true, just because well, you say it every just Friday. Just every Friday, exactly. <laughs> it's what we've learned to anticipate on Friday morning at Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest with me today, Nathan Powell. Of course, Keith Quinn is with me today. We're going to be talking with Rusty Leonard, who is the CEO of Stewardship Partners, one of our favorite guests, because he's going to dive in with us. We're going to find out what happened to the first quarter. I'm interested to get Rusty's opinion on this uh, really got some great insights well he does and you know the thing about it is the, the, you think about this whole first quarter thing the first quarter was up 1.35 percent it did not feel like that at the end of the quarter you wouldn't have thought that at the end of january no you sure wouldn't have in fact it's a positive return out of the last 13 of the 15 quarters we've seen last excuse me last 12 of the 13 quarters we've had positive returns we talk about a bull market Right, absolutely. And, and, you know, we kind of we're into this long-standing bull market. I mean, I think it's something like eighty-sixth month. The eighty-sixth month of the bull market since March of two thousand and nine. And it doesn't feel that way. No, sometimes you know, there's been a, a lot of volatility in between. You know, a lot of ups and downs. But that's always the way the market. Well, is. it is. The market goes up and down. And so, in the first half of the program, we're going to, you know, Rusty's going to help us. We're going to look at oil prices. We're going to look at rising interest rates. We're going to look at China, Europe. We're going to look at just what are the things that Rusty's going to bring to us to help us understand a little bit about what to anticipate and expect for the rest of the year? Absolutely. He's going to tell us, you know, what to focus on and what's important when we think about all these headlines and all the things that are going on around the world. And so much information, and yet he does a great job of keeping it simple for us. Now, the second half of the program, you're talking about keeping it great and solid. Nathan Powell's going to move in with us and help us to kind of, here in the studio, go through some some fundamentals that investors do not need to do. And, you know, you think about that, you get caught up in the headlines, you get caught up in what Rusty may say and things like that. But there's some standards, and we try to, for the lack of a better word, preach those standards on a regular basis. And Nathan's going to walk us through four, five, six standards or, or disciplines that we need to look at when we are in the investment mindset. Absolutely. And I think preach is the perfect word. And we want to focus on the fundamentals. If you don't forget the fundamentals, then you don't have to worry about the headlines. Well, I guarantee you it's a program that you do not want to avoid because we're going to go from start to finish in a fast and furious way. And I'm excited about having Keith with me this morning. He always helps. I kind of, again, watch and listen. And that's all I have to do. Nathan will do a great job in the second half. And, of course, Rusty Lynn would be with us when we come back in just a few minutes. You're listening to KWAM 990. This is Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. And when we get back, lock and load because we're going to get started with it. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this.
You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Keisha Parrish at 901-757-5757 or email at kparish at shoemakerfinancial.com. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Nathan Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated Securities Dealer Member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. Of course, we're talking with Keith Quinn. He is with me this morning, and we are going to dive in with Rusty Leonard. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated, of course, and he's a guest of ours. And, and you know, Keith, I do certainly enjoy having Rusty with us. Always, always insightful. Always learn something when we're talking to Rusty. Rusty, welcome to the program, sir. Well, thank you. Glad to be with you again. You know, one of the things that we, we want to talk to you about is it, we look at this, and I just mentioned it before we get to the break, and the fact that, you know, it doesn't feel like the first quarter ended up 1.35%. And out of the last, you know, 13 quarters, 12 of the last 13 quarters have been a positive, and we've been into this 86th month of a bull market, and Keith and I are both sitting scratching our heads. It seems like there's some positive news, but it doesn't feel like that. And help us understand some of the things. I mean, this market has been a wild ride, and yet the sell-off started out in January. Big rebound. We saw it in August. Sell-off in August last year. Big rebound in the fourth quarter. Okay, I'm tired. (laughs) What's going on? Well, gosh, yeah, it's it's not always easy to figure that out, and I'm sure the average person listening to the program is scratching their head if they're even paying a little bit of attention to the market's ups and downs. And you know, we know throughout history, uh, the market is you know kind of a manic depressive uh, situation. You have to keep your focus on the long term, where it all kind of smooths out. But we do try to understand the short term too, when it is you know a little bit on the loony side. And there was there was obviously some things that caused investors earlier in the quarter to be very concerned, and so the market you know kind of fell like a brick right from the first day of the year, right through uh, February 11th, I think it was, it was low. And um, there were there were concerns about recession here in the U.S. that uh, some of the economic economic data was starting to you know be disconcerting to to people. And then there was concerns that something even larger than that in China might occur. That would you know, kind of be a financial meltdown in China because their foreign reserves were dwindling and um, you know, looked like money was flowing out of China at a very rapid rate. By the end of the quarter, all that stuff had well, it hadn't dissipated uh, in terms of the concern in a general sense. The very specific concern that it was about to happen right now uh, certainly did uh, you know, fall, fall to the wayside. And as a result of that, the market people, you know, there's all these short-term traders in the market these days, all the hedge funds and such, and they had positioned their portfolios for a big disaster. It turned out there wasn't a big disaster, so the market then had to cover their short positions and that sent the market flying higher back to break even. So it was kind of a nutty quarter, but uh, you know, nothing much happened. 
you know, but from, from point to point, nothing much happened in the market and nothing much happened in the global economy either. Well, Rusty, we've seen a lot of these headlines and we get these questions from clients and, and it's been, you know, the headlines this year um, and even going back to the last year have been all about oil. So what is what is the impact of oil and what's going on with the, with the oil in the market? I mean, we feel like we're getting some, you know, we get this reprieve in the gas station. Right. right. We're not using those dollars to save money. So it's like, is this good for us over long haul or is the oil really a problem? Well, it is part of the reason why that we were in a facing a recession risk, and there was also concern because of uh, you know, smaller energy companies potentially going bankrupt. All the shale oil companies that was one of the things that was causing uh, a great deal of concern, and that concern is still out there because oil prices, while they have rebounded like the market has rebounded, they haven't gotten to really high levels. So we still are at quite low levels of of uh, oil prices, but a lot of banks were you know are suffering. Uh, from bad energy loans that they made, and so that causes concern in the marketplace. But you're right on the on the other side of that equation is the fact that we've all paid a lot less in uh, in gas prices over the winter, and it was great. You know, it was great going up into the bump and you know not paying half of what you used to pay, and uh, so that helped the economy. That obviously put a little more a little more money in people's uh, pocket, and so you had these offsetting. Uh, situations. On the one hand, the lower oil prices were were good for the average consumer, and the consumer makes up seventy percent of the economy. Uh, so that's you know, that was definitely a positive. On the uh, opposite side of that equation, you you have the risk that banks were running into some you know capital problems or bad loan problems, and uh, you have you know just bankruptcies going on in the shale oil uh, side of the equation. And so when it all balanced out, the, the market will focus on one thing at one point and another thing at another point, and uh, in the end, it kind of it balanced out. So do you think oil will stay down? I mean, our reserve is at the largest amount that we've seen in history. And uh, do you feel that that's going to create problems as far as, you know, this reserve being so much that they're just not going to drill? Or I know Russia and uh, Saudi Arabia has decided to cut some of their uh, well, not not cut. They they're potentially going to freeze. Right? Going to freeze. <laughs> I'm sorry, I made a terrible mistake. Yeah, that would be bad to say cut because that's not going to happen. They don't want to give away market share. No, they're not. But the reality being is, is that going to create an environment, Rusty, that we can kind of say we'll see rising oil prices by the end of the year? I think uh, that's a, that's a strong possibility. Uh, we've already seen rising oil prices as the speculators went from you know, betting the world was going to come to an end to saying, well, maybe it's just going to be okay. But the fact that you, you pointed out some very you know, notable facts, that we still have these huge inventories of oil, and there's tankers lined up all around the world just full of oil waiting to go someplace and sell because the, the storage on land you know, was completely full for the most part. So we've, uh, we've still got to work that excess inventory off. And a freeze in production at, the, at a minimum uh, in many of the places, a decline in production in the U.S., which we're already seeing, although it's been very slow in coming about. The U.S. producers have been very clever at uh, stretching out their uh, the ability to keep producing oil. Uh, so that's been slow to come about, and that's part of the reason why we have this problem, because production in the U.S. hasn't fallen off faster. And then you have to have increased demand. And we are seeing the increased demand, and one of the most positive things that's been seen lately is that China's economy may have bottomed out and maybe uh, starting to grow again. And the emerging markets generally may be starting to grow again. And um, and I shouldn't say they they always were growing. They're just growing at a faster rate. And so as they grow at a faster rate, and because of low oil prices, people are consuming more oil in their cars, drive, you know, taking more trips in the car. Uh, all those things are helping on the demand side a little bit. But the, really the big issue is on the supply side. 
and we do have to work off those inventories. It looks like we're heading in the right direction. Some people project that we'll get to, in the second half, we'll get to a kind of a break-even point in the oil market. That could keep an upward bias on prices, but we'll, we'll see. I'm, I think it'll be a bumpy road. Uh, we have a meeting uh, about this planned freeze this weekend. If uh, things don't go well there, we could see oil prices drop again. Mm. Well, if you just tuned in, I'm talking with Rusty Leonard. Keith Quinn is with me. We're kind of going through kind of the fundamentals. We've been kind of riding some ways here in the last 18 months. And Keith, you and I have talked about the fact that it doesn't feel like we're in a bull market and it consistently right. moves and, you know, and kind of muddles through and grinds and stuff like that. But we're getting some of the thoughts from Rusty, which help us understand uh, the, the bigger picture. And I'm interested in his thoughts about a recession. Rusty? All right. Well, on the recession front, you know, again, we have uh, confusing data because there's a um, – the Atlanta Federal Reserve Bank puts out something called GDP Now. And GDP Now is basically the most sensitive uh, measurement of GDP, you know, in the upcoming quarter. And it's, it fell throughout the, the first quarter down to about 0.3%, percent which is lower than where it was at 07 in the uh, GDP in the – in the fourth quarter of last year was about 0.7. So, you know, we're, we're right on the edge of a recession. You know, we're not, we're barely growing. But when you look at employment, employment levels and income levels, wages are rising, all kinds of stuff. The consumer, which I said earlier, makes up 70% of the economy, they're doing pretty well. And so it seems almost impossible for us to fall into a recession when uh, the consumer is doing that well. Uh, we may see a, a, a quarter of negative growth, but a recession is two quarters of negative growth. And I, you know, unless something changes, and of course, something, you know, usually things do change, uh, I, I would think that there's a much higher probability that we uh, see growth move higher from here and we start seeing higher GDP numbers than these ones that are skirting on the edge of a recession uh, throughout the rest of the year. So we'll, we'll see how that pans out. But for the moment, uh, the consumer's doing well. But I will say this, one of the reasons for the slow growth is the consumer is being much wiser than in the past, and it's not overspending to the same extent as in, in past years. And so we're seeing the savings rate at around 5%, and uh, that's good for long-term growth, but it does kind of depress short-term growth a little bit. But nevertheless, consumers are in good enough shape that the economy should be in good shape uh, going through the rest of this year. And that's, Rusty, something that I was going to ask you about. You'd mentioned all the money that the consumers have saved by cheaper gas prices, and we saw a number that said the American families had saved about $126 billion last year in cheaper gas. Are we seeing that going into the economy? Is that translating into retail sales, or is it, as you said, just going into a higher savings rate as people are more concerned about job prospects and, and the future? I think I think more the latter uh, than the former, but you are seeing some of the former as well. So uh, people are, like I said, being wiser. They're, they're parking some money away. It used to be that, uh, you know, I guess it was the baby boom generation, Jim and my generation that uh, was the, you know, borrow, 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 spend, 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 retirement, who cares? We'll think about that later. <laughs> well, I think it's gotten later, and I think they're now starting to think, you know, uh, maybe we ought to uh, – start putting some money aside. It's a little late in the game, but better late than never. So I think you're seeing some some of that, and that's part of uh, the reason why we're seeing the savings rate you know, rise, and we're not seeing the economy recover. As we come down, in past years, the economy was, was kind of goosed up by that, that borrowing, good. and we're not seeing uh, quite the uh, same extent of borrowing in the U.S. economy. Uh, 
Go ahead, Jim. Well, I was thinking, I, I think that's so critical because we're a baby boom generation that we did drive a lot of spending, and now we've shifted this baby boom generation. And borrowing and spending is good. Well, it, it, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, for the economy. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to convince that 65-year-old, hey, go Take buy another that house. Debt. Go buy something. Yeah, that, 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 that's really what's happened. You know, Rusty, though, I, I was reading something from the Com- Commerce Department that, that kind of, I want to get your opinion about it because it's one of those statistics that you look at and you go, wow. Well, that's kind of something to be concerned about. The average growth, it said, the statistics said for the last 75 years, we've had an average growth in our GDP of about 3.5%. But the actual growth rate for the U.S. economy for the last 15 years, last 15 years, had been had not reached except one time, one particular quarter, one particular year during that particular time had not reached 3.5%. So the last 15 years of that 75-year period, we're not averaging 3.5% for the GDP growth. Is that making a change in the way we think? Is that saying that we're just not going to grow like we did for the other 60 years? Yeah, we've matured as an economy, so uh, that's that's definitely part of what's going on there. And the larger you get, the harder it is to grow at those growth rates. Uh, China is experiencing that right now. You know, they grew at double-digit rates for a long time, their GDP, but all of a sudden they just can't seem to do it anymore because it's kind of the power of large numbers. Once you get to such a large number, to be able to grow your economy, you know, at a rapid rate, just it's just hard to do. Kind of maxed out the the possibilities. So so that is a problem uh, that that we face, and I think we. You know, we're probably there's no guarantee that we're going to see consistently lower GDP growth. But you, know, you look at Europe as the as we get more uh, socialistic as a nation, uh, you're going to see lesser growth to, to the high, to the extent that you're more capitalistic as a nation. Uh, you can you know promote that that growth rate a little bit better. But if you look at Europe, they've struggled with low growth forever. It seems, yeah. and a lot of it has to do with the socialistic economic policies that they employ there that kind of uh, undermine uh, the the ability to create wealth and to and, and reduce the reasons why you'd want to take risks uh, uh, and grow, you know, try to grow things. So to the extent that you're more capitalistic, you have uh, you have a better shot of a higher growth rate. And clearly, as we can see from the election, uh, we're leaning, or certain parts of our population at least, are leaning more towards a, a socialistic model on how they uh, want to go forward. Whether or not that ever gets translated into a greater reality of that, we already see some reality of that, but if it ever becomes you know, as significant as it is in Europe, uh, you know, we'll have problems growing. There's no doubt that's just part of the uh, the equation. Jim, that's pretty profound. Socialism, slower growth. Capitalism, higher growth. I wish there were a lot of young people listening uh, listening to the show, and well, I hope there are. Yeah, I <clears throat> hope they are. We'll uh, we'll that is that is good, solid information, uh, Rusty. You know, again, with that mindset, can I just simply summarize and say? We need to not get too worried about a non three point five percent GDP. Is is it okay for us to have a two percent GDP growth rate today? Yeah, I mean, as long as we're growing, obviously three or three and a half would be better. And there's an outside chance that the emerging markets, you know, really kick off into another growth spurt, and we benefit from that as a nation, and we get our growth up, you know, to the to that kind of normal three to three and a half percent level for a period of time. Uh, but yeah, two percent is fine. It, the risk with two percent is that it's closer to zero, <laughs> and so if something uh, something goes wrong, and something always does go wrong at some point in time, you know, you're you're going to be pushed into recession that much easier. But uh, if you have consistent two percent growth, you know, I think everybody can be pretty happy and live their lives in a, in a happy way. 
So, yeah, I don't uh, that makes good sense. I think that helps me out a lot. Let me ask you this. We we read in the headlines, we hear about Japan, negative uh, interest rates. We read about Europe, negative interest rates. We talk about uh, the whole idea of maybe a negative growth rate in, in, the, in these Europe. Japan's economy may slip into something of a negative growth rate territory. I mean, this is a concern, and I and I can't I tie that to you. I you know I couldn't believe that we were listing a couple of weeks ago that one of the things we could do is go to a negative growth rate. I mean, just the whole I mean, negative rate at the borrowing rate. So I mean, what about rising interest rates? Do you think she's going to do that? Talk about Japan and Europe first, and then tie it into kind of that mindset of the Federal Reserve talking about. Uh, raising rates for us. And is that going to really happen? Is that going to create an unemployment problem? What's the, what's the deal? So negative interest rates in the U.S. I think are almost uh, impossible at this stage of the game because our economy is actually, despite the low GDP growth or whatever, on balance, if you look at unemployment, look at inflation measures, both of them are signaling that the Fed should be raising rates and maybe is behind uh, the the game a little bit in that regard. They really need to kind of catch up and raise rates a little bit more because our economy is starting to show signs of uh, normalization. So the rates should be normalized. Um, and so I think the, the risk in the U.S. is more for higher rates than for lower rates. I think we can pretty much rule out, you know, there's a dramatic punch in the gut to our economy that causes us to really uh, slip that uh, we'll ever see negative rates here. I just don't think you're going to see that. The overseas, as you mentioned, Japan has just gone this negative rate route, uh, and uh, Europe is completely in the negative. In Switzerland, you can't buy even a 10-year government bond has a negative interest rate on it. It's just, it's just crazy. Stuff. <laughs> That's insane. It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> yeah a 10-year yeah. bond. <laughs> yeah, and so we've seen you know, maybe 20% of the global, 30%, 20 to 30% of the global bond market uh, and for government bonds is now in negative rate territory. This is a, a unusual you know, and brand new attempt by central banks to stimulate economies, and so far it's not working all that well. And it has risks associated with with it for the banking system. So now all of a sudden we're starting to become worried about the European banks again. Uh, there's rumors about Deutsche Bank maybe not doing too well and having some real problems, uh, which is a very large bank to have problems. We don't want Deutsche Bank to have problems. The Italian banking system is under a heavy weight of bad loans. They have just a meeting last week to try to organize that and keep that from blowing up into a, into a big problem. Uh, Greece, no doubt, will come back onto our radar screen somewhere along the way this summer. I wouldn't be surprised. And in Japan, uh, the whole money market system is kind of frozen up because of these negative interest rates. And so there's some real, real side effects of that policy. And I think that uh, sooner rather than later, we may see people moving away from that. Uh, and so, but basically the, the main point is because of the slow growth and because of the deflationary threat in both Europe and Japan, and that's coming in particularly in Japan because of just enormous debt uh, that the country has, uh, that they, they're trying all these things and they're not necessarily working and I'm not real confident of how that all unwinds. I think we might have some problems, uh, in particularly in Japan, but also in Europe, as uh, as things move forward because of these kind of extreme 
monetary policies that the central banks are employing that don't seem to be working, and they don't seem to have many other options. Well, when we come back, I got Keith's got a question for you. I've got a couple more questions. I mean, this idea of not raising rates. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Rusty Leonard. He is the CEO and founder of Stewardship Partners. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Along with Keith Quinn, we're talking about the economy and what happened in the first quarter. What does the future look like? Is oil prices going up? Stay with us, because when we get back, it's more of Rusty Leonard and Talk Money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Have you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Contact Keisha Parrish at 901-757-5757 or email at kparish at shoemakerfinancial.com. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Security and Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Security and Financial Services Incorporated nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council Incorporated. Once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. You know, we're talking with Rusty Leonard, and one of the best questions I always like to ask, Rusty, is the political side. Because, believe it or not, the political side, and it's the number one question right now. It's amazing. You meet with a client today, you go through everything, and then they say, what do you what think about, about the election? election? Right. What about the election? <laughs> what about the election? So, Rusty, what about the election? <laughs> yeah, what about the election? <laughs> and if you, if you think I can answer that <laughs> Yeah. Well, hey, man. <laughs> but uh, it's certainly entertaining. That's, there's no doubt about that. We have an entertaining situation. Uh, but it certainly appears to me, I think if, I think the markets are betting at this stage of the game, and rightly so, that uh, Trump would end up winning the uh, Republican nomination. And right. And that he would then you know, get trounced by Hillary. Slaughtered. And, and uh, that, that would be it. I think that's where the markets are right now. Anything that suggests that that may not be the end result uh, may alter things. Uh, but I think if, if Cruz, for instance, were to you know, somehow pull all the, the levers and you know, use the rules to, his, uh, to the maximum for his own benefit while Donald Trump is uh, not really paying attention, which I think Trump's now finally starting to pay attention to some of those things. But if he was able to do that and somehow win the, win the uh, nomination, uh, then you have uh, – him losing to Hillary probably is a pretty good bet as well. So I don't think that would change the equation too much. Uh, if Hillary gets indicted and you get Bernie Sanders at the top, the polls suggest that Bernie could beat all the Republicans, which I, you know, it's a real head scratcher. I don't believe that would uh, actually pan out. And so then the Republicans would have a chance. But, uh, you know, the president seems to be saying that that's not going to happen. So uh, so I think he, I think the markets for the moment are going to be betting on Hillary as the as the victor. And, um, and that probably makes them feel okay. They have supported her, and she probably is the least risky candidate uh, for them uh, in many respects. So uh, whether that, you know, whether you and I agree with that is a whole other situation. But that's what the market's uh, viewing at this stage of the game, I think. And uh, it is just a lunatic fringe uh, 
presidential stakes right now. Right <laughs> should be a great so government I, lesson. I would, oh, it's it's just, it's uh, it's entertaining. Yeah, and, and I, I think I think Rusty's I, right. I when he, sorry, go ahead, Rusty. I was just saying I wouldn't bet on any particular outcome at this stage of the game if I was a, a you know a wise person. I'd be letting it play out before I you know. But I think that's what Wall Street's thinking at the moment. I was still hoping for uh, Paul Ryan versus Joe Biden, but I don't, I don't know if we're going to get it. <laughs> Joe, but it's a, the, the freaky thing is we're sitting here in April of 2016, and it is you know something that you could legitimately talk about. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's exactly amazing. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Rusty, let's do a summary for our clients and our listeners today, because I think what they want to know from your chair, I mean, this is the president and CEO of Stewardship Partners. A money manager does a great job in doing this a very long time and has a tremendous insight. So, Rusty, give us that two-minute, three-minute summary of what you see. Okay, and we had, uh, you know, maybe I might be on a hot streak here. We had a great first quarter. Most most money managers really struggled in the first quarter. We had a fantastic first quarter. Our global accounts were up over ten percent. Awesome. And uh, so that was just. So we're on a hot streak. Maybe I actually know what I'm talking about here. So, uh, we'll <laughs> We've never had any doubt about no that. No doubt. Uh, well, I'm glad to hear that. I've got some of the people fooled some of the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> But the uh, you know the outlook I'd say is I was I was quite concerned going into the first quarter and uh, was had our accounts positioned in a you know a, a way to benefit from the market uh, declining and that's one of the reasons why we did so well and then we were able to turn it uh, exactly really at exactly the right time and that also contributed greatly to why we had such a great first quarter so now I'm saying where where do we go from here you know can we pull off such a uh, a good return uh, in this upcoming quarter well that'll be hard work. And it's, uh, but I will say this: I'm not as uh, concerned as I was at the beginning of the year. Uh, and the main reason is that China has not blown up, and China seems to be its economy seems to be turning the corner and starting to show a little bit of uh, stabilization in its uh, both its uh, foreign reserves, the flow of money out of the country, and also in its economic growth. We've seen that in all the commodities. Uh, and we've seen it in the trade figures, which had started to look pretty awful. All of a sudden, the trade figures are starting to look a little bit better. If that, if China's doing better, then the oil prices, demand for oil, as we talked about earlier, will probably kick up a little bit, and that will help solve the oil issue sooner. And that will help resolve uh, some of the concerns that we have about banks that might be lending too much money to the oil space, or even countries that are very sensitive to the price of oil, uh, you know, having financial problems. So I think there's a lot of reasons to believe that we may have turned a corner and that things are looking a little bit more positive. But I still remain very concerned about the central bank policies we talked about and uh, how extreme they are and the debt levels in some countries. And I mentioned Japan's very high debt levels that all of a sudden, uh, if if investors lose confidence in the central bank there, it could just be you know, a meltdown situation very quickly. Uh, that's not likely just because of the nature of Japan, but it's certainly a risk factor. But China also, even though it's turning, its economy is turning, it also grew its debt to astronomical levels. The government there is taking some actions to kind of deal with that. And uh, so we're hopeful that they will you know, be successful and will, again, avoid a calamity in China. But uh, – you know, that's still a risk factor. So there still are some risk factors. It just seems to me that those risk factors are diminishing. We're still, we moved back into a, from our own portfolios, we're back into a kind of a semi-cautiously positioned uh, state, but we're looking for opportunities to get fully invested and get confirmation that some of these things that seem to be turning actually uh, will continue to get better. Well, you've been listening to Rusty Leonard. He is the CEO and founder of Stewardship Partners, always a good guest of ours. Rusty, thank you so much. I know you're a busy man. Thanks for sharing Friday mornings with us, man. 
Hey, I very much enjoy it, and uh, boy, we'll have next, a lot to talk about next time. <laughs> no question. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Rusty. If you just tuned in, we've been talking with Rusty Leonard. I'm Keith, I've got Keith Quinn with me. I'm Jim Shoemaker. And coming up, we're going to talk about some specific things. Since we've been listening to Rusty, here's some specific things that, that we've got Nathan Powell with us that investors should not do. You don't want to miss that part. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Investments in commodities and natural resources involve heightened risk due to leveraging and speculative investment practices, lack of periodic valuation requirements, and potentially complex tax structures. Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. The Liberty Bowl Stadium has been the home to many wonderful stories. When the Memphis Memorial Stadium was built in 1965, it was dedicated to Memphians who had served in the two world wars and in Korea. Its purpose was to relocate the Liberty Bowl from Atlantic City to Memphis. The stadium was renamed Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium nine years later. In 1983, the field was named Rex Dockery Field after a Memphis football coach who was killed in a plane crash just two weeks before Christmas. Since the 70s, the stadium has hosted numerous professional football teams, along with a few soccer teams. During the 90s, the stadium hosted the Memphis Mad Dogs, who were part of the Canadian Football League. Although there were some difficulty adapting the stadium to Canadian football rules, that one season in 1995 was a high point in the stadium's history, matched by the exhibition baseball game there between the Braves and the Brewers in 1975. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results, research, investment advice, or a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. You know, Keith, when we talk, we, we Rusty does a great job great of job. guiding us through some things. And But we really do want all of our listeners and, and people that, that listen to this program, not only during the live show, but come back and listen to it later on the uh, with the iTunes and when they do the search and get it on right. the iPad, on the iPod. The p- point is that people need to gain some insight. The, the attitudes of an investor need to be managed, and, and that is not always easy. And so our job is trying to help the, the you know move some things through with different approaches, the actions and the omissions, and all these things that you kind of have a tendency to do can hurt you in results. And you know you and I have seen that. Sure, absolutely. That's the single biggest uh, uh, sometimes a problem you face is yourself, is getting caught up in these emotional things, and it is emotional. It is emotional. So I'm very pleased to have Nathan Powell with us today. Nathan, welcome to the program, sir. Thanks. Appreciate it. Love being here. Well, you know, here's the thing, Nathan. Mm-hmm. There are some things that I know in your practice you you really do preach. We're going to use that word <laughs> sure, again. <yep. laughs> you know, some things that investors should not do. Right. So start with me. Give me the first yeah. one that really is kind of critical. Yeah, there's a lot. We'll start, you know, I think right off the bat, the first thing that comes to mind is just that herd mentality. You know? Oh, boy. You, you see, you know, what's the latest, you know, hot trend, You know, all the talking heads or your on the internet, you know, these top, you know, stock picks and everybody's trying to just throw information and say, 
You, you think about buying a car or a washing machine. You, you can always ask your, your friends, you know, what car has done great? And it's probably a safe bet that if it's done well in the past, you know, it's Tesla well or in the future, know, right? Exactly. You know, but, you know, when you get into the world of investments, I mean, that's a very uh, scary thing to follow along with as far as, you know, what is everyone else doing and getting tied up emotionally into uh, what's going on? Well, Keith, we talk about something that we tell everybody about something that's kind of the, the quote unquote that we say to everybody past performance is indicative of almost nothing. That's right. <laughs> you know, and that's really what we'd have to deal with. It really is. And by the time that, that someone's decided they really like an investment and it's had a great run, well, guess what you've just done? You've bought high. Yeah. Uh, and then typically, you know, they'll get discouraged. Something will happen in the market. Something will happen in the investment. And you get out and guess what you've just done? You've sold low. That is not the way to look at long-term investing. In fact, a lot of people do get caught up with what others are doing, and it's usually at the late end of the day. Sure, sure. They're yeah. almost always too late. All right, Nathan. Yeah. Then if that's that's a problem, okay? That's an approach that yep. people need to be careful with. How do they stop that? How do they not do it? Right. I mean, the number one way to you know, prevent falling into that trap is really, you know, first of all, don't invest with your emotions. Stick to a solid strategy and, you know, tune out. Tune out the talking heads. Tune out the news. Link arms with someone that you trust that's given you, you know, great objective advice for whatever your goals entail. I like the fact that you talk about discipline. You don't get in it. You mentioned the emotional side. Don't, don't be emotional. Now, that I know in the thought process, help me with that, because an emotional investor is a dangerous investor. Absolutely right. You know, I mean, you think about, you know, you, if, if you're so worried about chasing your returns and you're always trying to jump in and out and in and out and, you know, pick the next hot thing. But, you know, what we really try to, you know, going back to our word preach you know, to our clients yeah. is... You know, get your clear goals, your clear objectives, and develop a solid strategy that's going to get you to your goal, to the finish line. You know, Keith, you talk about volatility. Absolutely. And that's the part that emotions, I mean, when when we're down, like in January, uh, the market just continues to tumble in January. I mean, that's when that emotion kicks in and, and you fear it. Well, you do. And, and again, if you turn on the television and you see CNBC flashing stock market sell-off, that right. is emotional because you think something's terribly wrong and you've got to do something to fix that problem. It's not a problem. It's normal. We talk about that. We've looked at one study that said the average decline for the market entry year, so every calendar year, the market's going to be down about an average of 14%. That is normal. You have to weather that 14% to get the long-term returns. And if we look back to the last 20 years, the S&P has averaged about a 10% average annual return, even with those 14% declines. You know, and, and something you know about volatility is, you know, you have to understand volatility works both ways. Absolutely. Volatility, up volatility just, is great. Right. You know, but nobody ever calls and, you know, is complaining when the market's, you know, way up or their, you know, portfolios are doing great. It's, you know, when we have that, that fear that, you know, that's, you know, people start panicking and, you know, trying to make changes rather than just sticking to a solid strategy. All right, guys, it's easy for you to say that. And you guys preach it, by the way. Sure. I, you were preaching it. We believe time. it. We believe 100%. it. 100%. And you're passionate about it. But I'm the investor out there. I, I just am suffering. You know, my portfolio it seems to be struggling. So help me get past emotion. Help me build my mindset so that emotions don't kick in and I don't get fearful. I don't get to concern. What are yeah. things I should do? Well, sure. You know, I mean, first, uh, it goes back to, you know, working with somebody that you trust that first and foremost understands your goals and know what your time horizons are. Do you have a goal that's a short-term goal, mid-term, long-term, or we think retirement, or we think saving for 
college or a wedding for a kid? Are we looking at wanting a, a down payment for a home? Because we're going to, you know, approach each of those different goals differently and making sure that our clients understand, you know, what we're working towards. And I know it's a lot easier said than done, but just trying to put volatility out of your mind, you know, don't invest with your emotions. We've probably said it 10 times already in the last two minutes, but I think it's critical. So clearly the first thing you need to do is call Nathan Powell at 901-757-5757. I agree. That's easy. <laughs> I agree, Keith. That's easy. You know, uh, that was pretty good. That's great advice, too. You know, of course, uh, I think I think, I think, think what we're saying, and, he's, and Nathan's actually said it a couple of times, where come alongside, I think all of us, when we do get caught in emotions, absolutely need someone to help us get through. You know, and I know some people think, well, no, wait a minute, I can manage my emotions. And, and I'm not questioning that for anybody. But if they know what, and Keith, you both have said this, but Nathan, you really clearly said it, knowing what my objective is. Mm-hmm. Is this my retirement money? Is this a wedding savings sure. account? Is this the house? Short, long-term, midterm? Let's define short-term, zero to two years. Right, absolutely. I mean, and you don't invest the same way if it's a zero to two year investment, if it looks like it's going to be a 30 year investment, they're not invested in the same stuff. And if you do, boy, watch out. <laughs> You're making a mistake. That's right. And then so if it's midterm and that's three to eight years, yep. it's a different mindset. Again, it's still different than if it's a 30-year investment. We have a tendency today to take our 30-year investment and try to think of it as a zero to two years. 30 years ago, the average holding time for an investment used to be about uh, 15 years, I think. You know what it is now? Eight days. days. Uh, It's that short-term focus. You've got to get away from that. If your goal is to make money today, i got news for you. I can't help you. Uh, But if your goal is to have a comfortable retirement, then we can talk about that. Yeah, that's the key. That's the key. And I'd say, you know, just a quick story. You know, I had a client maybe – Five or six months ago, they came in. We were having a, a discussion. They were looking at saving for their child's college, and the vehicle that they were using was definitely not geared towards it. I'll stay away from specifics, but you know, we had to realign the thought process, and she didn't quite understand the process that she was put in. So we had to go back and look through and, and talk about what that specific vehicle was designed for, and make sure that we made a change while there was still time. To do it and that it wouldn't affect her negatively or her child's you know, future down the line. So, I mean, it's just critical to understand there's so many moving parts and people have a lot of questions. You just got to align yourself with uh, someone that's going to really link arms with you. Nathan Powell, 901-757-5757. Great advice. Excellent. Great advice. Excellent, Nathan. That does. Give me another one that, that investors should stay away from. I mean, I know you talk about diversification and, you know, and how you rebalance things. So is that one of the things that they need to be disciplined with? Absolutely. You know, re- rebalancing, asset allocation, all those things are, you know, Absolutely. What we talk to our clients every day about, you know, I mean, you want to make sure that you don't have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different investment options inside your portfolio, because that can, you know, drag things down, but make sure that you need 15% here. We've got 15% there. If you need 20% here, let's put 20% there and develop a good solid, you know, allocated portfolio that's going to be in enough different what we call asset classes. I don't want to try to get too jargony on everybody, but, you know, I mean, have your money spread out so that you can help manage risk. We're not, there's no guarantees in anything, but 
being well diversified is going to help manage the risk and the volatility in the portfolio. Absolutely. So asset allocation, how much money do you put into stocks? How much money do you put into bonds? How much money do you keep in cash? And then how do you diversify each one of those sectors? So in your stocks, you don't buy everything into what did well last year. And that's the herd mentality. You want to own some international stocks, even though international perhaps doesn't look good at the time you're looking at it. You want to diversify and get exposure to different areas of the market. And Nathan's exactly right. Thinking about your goals. Yeah, you know, and if, you know, if, if your portfolio, if you're kind of, you know, what you can stomach as far as volatility is like a 60% equities, 40% fixed, and you're not rebalancing, well, over time, that can become 70-30 and then 80-20, and then you're way out of whack, and your portfolio doesn't accurately reflect the risk that, you know, is aligned with your personality. You're not managing your risk. You're right. Do that. All right, I want to make sure you explain rebalancing. We definitely know that term. We understand it. But to the person listening, rebalance. Explain that. Sure. Well, we can just boil it down to, you know, buy low, sell high, right? You mean sell off some of the uh, winners and buy some of the losers. That's a hard discipline, though, guys. I mean, look at me. It's counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's like, wait a minute, my my stocks are doing great. I don't want to sell those. Well, you know, I think we're one of the only industries I, I know of that, you know, when things go on sale, Nobody wants Nobody to buy, wants to buy. You know? right. <laughs> which is, you know, very counterintuitive <laughs> to our whole consumer driven culture. But I mean, you just you've got to look at it from an objective point of view. Don't get too emotionally attached to an investment. I think about, you know, when I was in high school, you know, I've got a medal from when I was on the swim team. And guess what? It's still sitting in a box <laughs> over there. And, you know, guess what? I'm not that same winner that I was. But for some reason, I can't get myself to, you know, Toss out the metal because I'm emotionally attached sure. to it. So making sure that you have an objective approach and a systematic, you know, approach to rebalancing your portfolio when the time is right. One of the things that I think you guys do such a good job of explaining is the mindset of discipline. I heard that. I've heard that. Staying, keeping the emotions in check. Yeah. Don't follow the herd mentality. But if I pulled all this down, I mean, I guess before that, you got to keep the cost of the investment involved. So paying fees, you need to catch with that. Can you say anything about that, Nathan? I mean, just give me, give me some insight sure. because so many times there are some fees right. that get caught up. And I just saw an investment recently that I was shocked at how the fees were structured. And you just have to kind of be careful with that. So what would you say to the, to the average person, the right. listener, about fees? I would say, you know, when you're, when you're working with you know, any financial professional, first off, they should be very upfront with, all of the fees associated, not just what the you know fee to manage the assets are, but you know what are some of the other drags on the portfolio. Be work with someone who's transparent, and we'll talk about this probably a little bit more. A fiduciary that's going to make sure they're putting the client's best interests before their own, and before their own, excuse me, and making sure that you understand exactly what you're paying for inside of your portfolio is critical. And review it annually with your advisor. Make sure that. You're still in the right spots that you're paying appropriate fees associated to whatever vehicle you're in. And that's one of the things that I always look at for my chair, Jim, is when we're picking investments, we always make sure that we're getting the very lowest fee uh, because it is something that we control and we try to focus on what we control. You know, and if you just tuned in, of course, Keith Quinn, Director of Investments, and that's important. And he says, my chair, 
Keith is in charge of looking at all of our portfolios, all the investments, and make sure that they fit what we're trying to put together for a client. And so it's kind of somebody who's checking all the things that we go through to make a good selection. And then Nathan, who manages with a client, does a great job. Nathan Powell, 901-757-5757. Good advice. Yeah, you talk about having a great person on your team. I mean, Keith Quinn, I mean, I've gone and asked him so many questions you know i love just having the team atmosphere that hey guess what we are actively looking at these fees for our clients every single day and you know really going to the drawing board constantly to make sure that you know what they're paying is appropriate for what they're doing so i love having keith on our team oh all thank right. you sir well i mean you know now you're gonna that's gonna <laughs> fluff them up a little bit that's all right yeah. i'll have to deal with that later on you know but but no you're exactly right we're fortunate that nathan that we don't have to spend the energy time and effort keith does i mean exactly. keith and i just spent two and a half hours just recently looking at interest rates rising what does that do and, and the knowledge <clears throat> excuse me the knowledge that Keith brings to the table is exactly what we're talking about yeah. all right guys we got just about 2 minutes left sure. i need you to give me the summary we talk about a strategy nathan put that together for me what do you tell a client? all right you know what i'll i'll put it together with a story i'm from indiana grew up around racing all my life indy 500 so on and so forth you know you look at the goal of a race car driver what is it well it's to cross the finish line and be there first drive however far they're supposed to be you know they get to that finish line if they still got gas in the tank they still got rubber on their tires they're not trying to do you know 50 more laps right what do they do they stop. stop so make sure that you have a goal and you know what your goal is have a solid investment strategy with someone that you trust that's transparent with what you're paying, that's going to get you to your goal, whether it's short-term, mid-term, long-term. And when you get there to that goal, you can stop, get out, drink your milk, and celebrate. I think that's great advice. And once you have that plan, when you see this volatility in the market, be patient. Warren Buffett had said the stock market is an incredibly efficient me mechanism to transfer wealth from the patient to the impatient, from the impatient to the patient. Excuse me. Be patient. Be patient. Great advice. That's been, uh, of course, Nathan Powell and Keith Quinn. We've been talking about things that the investors should avoid. And uh, I think they've done a great job to, to line that up for us. Rusty Leonard in the first half of the program giving us some insight into the first quarter and what do we expect for the rest of the year. Of course, I want to thank my producer and board operator, Art Frederick. Guest in content coordination is Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz, and did a great job making a bunt cake for us this morning. Great Yum. job. And Mid-South History Moment, read by Rebecca Brazier and written by Drew Johnson. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Join me next week. And Keith, uh, we'll be talking with Jim Whitehead. Stay with us. We'll be back. Thank you so much. We'll have it next week. Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, and Nathan Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC. A registered investment advisor, Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.